This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bible tonight and turn to John chapter number 3. If you didn't get a copy of the notes, our ushers are coming by right now to give you a copy of the notes or a uh, pen, something to write with. If you did not yet get a copy of the notes, grab those from our ushers. We've got a lot of stuff to cover tonight. Again, um, as we go through this study on salvation, a lot of our messages, especially in this series, are going to be less expository in the fact that we're not staying in one passage of Scripture and going through those particular verses. We're going to be kind of looking through the Bible uh, and seeing uh, how um, the Bible relates to this particular topic of salvation. So have your Bible open, have your Bible ready. Be ready to make notes. I highly encourage you uh, make notes in your Bible of things that you want to come back to later or important ver- verses that the Holy Spirit brings to, to your mind and your heart as you go through these. Uh, I'm a strong proponent of having a physical copy of the Bible that you write a lot of notes in. Uh, when I uh, pass on from this earth one day, I want to be able to pass along to my kids um, my Bibles that have my notes in them and things that I've written in there and things along those lines. And so I can't just give them my version password and have them log into my account. That would be kind of awkward. Uh, but uh, again, I'm a strong proponent of having a, a physical copy of the Bible. And again, if you don't have one tonight, that's not a big deal. Have one that you use at home for study uh, and, and make good notes in it that you can come back to. I love looking at, at old copies of, of Bibles that I have. I have probably about 30 different Bibles that I've used throughout the years. But looking back at old copies of the Bible and seeing notes that I've written or things that I've underlined and things along those lines, I think it's uh, super helpful uh, on your faith journey, and so I encourage you to do that. So tonight's a good night to make some really good notes in your Bible uh, as well. John chapter 3, a famous passage of Scripture. Uh, I quote it probably just about every single Sunday, uh, for sure, uh, especially on Sunday mornings as we talk about the gospel. Uh, it's a critical passage of Scripture. Again, if, if you were only able to read two passages or really two, two books of the Bible to understand the gospel, I would highly recommend the gospel of John and the book of Romans because John tells us that Jesus Christ is God and what he did, and Romans uh, tells us why Jesus did those things and what, he, what that provides for us in our relationship with God. And so uh, two books you should definitely become well-versed in. John chapter 3, we find uh, Jesus really giving a, a serious explanation of the gospel to uh, a teacher that comes to him by night by the name of Nicodemus. And as we go through this, you'll see several uh, imp- important passages of Scripture, but really famous passages of Scripture that you, that you hear uh, often quoted through this. And so, again, I would just encourage you to make notes as we go through here. Um, tonight, we're taking a look at the topic of regeneration, the idea of being born again and what implications and meanings that has for us uh, as Christians. John chapter 3, starting in verse number 1, I'm going to read through this fairly quickly, um, primarily because I don't know how to read slow, uh, but uh, that was a joke. Um, But I'm going to move through it quickly because we've got 21 verses I want to cover here, and then we've got to get on with the message. So uh, John chapter 3, starting in verse number 1, there's a man uh, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher, come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Verse 3 is, again, a verse I probably quote every single Sunday. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's critical. Circle star. Underline that. Commit that to memory because it says you cannot go to heaven unless you have been born again. 
Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus saith and answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 5 is an often misquoted, misunderstood, misapplied verse in the fact that it's not saying that you need to be baptized. That's not being born of the water. Uh, Jesus is speaking of a physical birth and a spiritual birth. Uh, in a physical birth, a woman has a water sack, and when the water sack breaks, that's the time for uh, birth to be given in a physical sense. And so Jesus says you need to be born of the water, physical birth, and spirit, and then he clarifies that in verse number six when he says that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. I just want to clarify that before we move on to verse seven. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but thou canst tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak what we do not know, and testify that we have seen, speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. I told you earthly things, and you believe not. How shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man that hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent of the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 14 is important. I would circle that too. Uh, That's speaking of a, a forthcoming of prophecy of how Jesus would be put on the cross just as the uh, serpent in the wilderness was lifted up and all those who looked to the serpent lived so the son of man will be lifted up on the cross and everyone that looks to faith in Christ and repentance uh, will be saved verse number 15 that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but that he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the life that his deeds may light that his cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought of God. Now, several important things that we need to know. First of all, from the Bible, any Christian should know. First of all, are you saved? You need to know the answer to that question. If you're not saved, uh, Jesus says again in verse number three that we saw here, you're not going to heaven. Uh, John 3.36 tells us here, he that hath the Son hath life. For those that have been saved, they have eternal life. But he that hath not uh, the Son hath not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. That verse 36 is really important too. And so if you don't know for sure that you're saved uh, and you've been born again, you're not going to heaven when you die. That's really important because God wants you to go to heaven. God wants you to be saved. God wants you to be forgiven. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so uh, tonight, if you're here and you're not saved, first of all, you need to recognize that you've sinned against God. You've broken God's law. You need to realize that Jesus is the only way to heaven and really believe that with your whole heart. 
Next, you must be willing to confess your sin to God and ask for forgiveness. Uh, you have to repent of your sin and, and ask God to save you. And if you did that, he would totally do it right now. Again, it's not a matter of this big religious experience or coming forward or uh, kneeling in an altar or crying tears or anything like that. It's about faith in Jesus Christ alone to save you because you realize you cannot save yourself and you are in dire straits without him. So you need to know that you're saved. Second thing that you really need to know when it comes to uh, being a Christian, you need to know how to pass your faith on to someone else. You need to be able to explain the gospel to someone else so that they can be saved. Uh, this is really important because it's a commandment that Jesus gave us that we should go into all the world and preach the gospel. So you need to, to know the gospel to be saved, but you need to know the gospel to pass it on to someone else. And the, the third thing that I think as a pastor is really important for us as Christians is you need to understand now that you're saved, what does that mean for your life and the way that you live it? And that's the process of discipleship. That's uh, walking with Jesus for the rest of our lives and uh, knowing what implications that has. Understanding the process of regeneration in Christ is really important for us because this has uh, major implications on how we live our lives. You see, first of all, um, that the effect of human sin is degeneration. When we choose to sin against God, when we choose to rebel against God's law, we see degeneration. Things begin to break down. Uh, I think we spent, man, eight weeks in Romans chapter one taking a look at the process of degeneration. As man forgets God, considers himself wiser than God, God then gives him over to a reprobate mind to do his own thing, and things just begin to spiral worse and worse and worse and worse. That's the process of degeneration. When you and I sin against God, everything begins to break down. Uh, the book of James tells us that we, are, we sin when we're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death 100% of the time. So human sin begins this process of degeneration, the breakdown. This happened, excuse me, in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse number 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it also unto her husband with her and he did eat and the eyes of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves aprons. Here we see from the very beginning of time, the very first sin that's committed a rebellion against God begins with degeneration. They recognize now that they are naked and they need to cover their nakedness because they are ashamed of what they have done. So what does mankind try to do to cover our own sin? We try to make up whatever we can to cover ourselves up. And so they've sewed together themselves an apron of fig leaves. Now the problem with leaves is once you take them off the tree, they begin to die. And this covering that they made for themselves would last maybe 24 hours, maybe 48 hours. Uh, at most, it's going to last just a couple of days before it begins to break down. We cannot cover our own sin. We cannot fix uh, the things that are broken in our life. And so God, because of that, he gave them coats of skin of an animal. An animal had to die and give its life to cover their sin. This was the beginning of God's plan of redemption. And so we see that human sin begins the degeneration. In the moment of degeneration, God sets his plan of redemption into place. Now God responds to the degeneration that's taken place in the book of Genesis chapter 3. He responds by kicking off this plan of the redemption of mankind. Now it's important to say that he sets it in motion. He kicks it off. Uh, God didn't devise the plan in the Garden of Eden. God already knew how he would redeem mankind. 
Eve didn't eat of this fruit and then give it to Adam. They rebelled against God, and, and, and God goes, oh, man, what am I going to do now? Like, I prepared this beautiful garden, and now they've got nowhere to go, and they've got to kick them out. What do I do? No, no, God already had a plan in eternity past. Again, the, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus was already being... Uh, uh, his crucifixion uh, and his covering for the sins of mankind had already been determined before the foundations of the world were laid. And so God puts his plan into motion in the, the Garden of Eden. We see in, uh, again, Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above all beasts of the field, upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between thee, I'm going to make you an enemy between you and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now it's interesting to, to note here uh, that, again, God is foretelling not only the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he's also foretelling uh, the virgin birth in this passage here. While Satan's head would be bruised by the heel of what? The seed of the woman. And if you think about this in reproductive terms, a woman doesn't have a seed, she has an egg. But the seed of the woman would be the seed that, that comes from the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And so again, here in Genesis chapter 3, God already foretells us. Now again, I can imagine Moses, as he writes this in the book of Genesis, thinks to himself, oh, that's kind of a strange way to put it because it's what God told him to write. But you and I have the foreknowledge of reading the Bible backwards and seeing that this was a, a prophecy of the coming of, of a Christ through a virgin birth. And so God's plan already becomes put into place. Again, Genesis chapter 3, verse number 21, unto Adam and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. Their own personal coverings of fig leaves were insufficient. It would not last. God put an animal to death to cover their sin. This was a picture of a coming covering that would have to be made for our sin through the death of a spotless, sinless lamb, Jesus Christ. And so we see in the very beginning, God had already planned to uh, redeem us from this degenerative state, uh, to redeem us for his own, uh, and to begin the process of, of, gener of regeneration. Now it's important to note, uh, turn over to Ephesians chapter two, if you would, in your, your uh, Bibles, Ephesians 2. preached through the book of Ephesians. I think it was four years ago on Sunday morning. It was awesome. Man, great book of the Bible. Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 2. We'll just start in verse number 1 here. And you hath he quickened, that word quickened means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. So this is speaking of our spiritual state here. You and I were spiritually dead. Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, uh, which is speaking of Satan there, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. This is a good place to pause for just a second and tell you a really interesting thought. Um, the, uh, in this case here where it calls Satan the prince and power of the air in verse number two, um, a, a lot of Christians back in like the 60s and, and 70s when they started sending out television signals over airwaves began to say that, that televisions were satanic because uh, Satan is the prince and power of the air. Uh, and anything that's going across the airways is being infiltrated by Satan. So you're literally letting Satan into your home by having a television set in your house. Now we look at that and go, well, now we get our, our 
entertainment via like cable modem. Like, is that a thing now? Here's the thing. That was never really a thing. It was just, again, kind of extra biblical stuff that people tacked on. And so I've heard, no lie, I've heard entire sermons preached about if you have a TV in your home, you do not love the Lord. And it's things like that that just like, okay, let's just preach the Bible, okay? And so when it says that, that Satan is the prince in power of the air, it's not talking about, you know, uh, Satan has infiltrated your radio station or your radio in your car. That's all it's talking about. Uh, verse number three, among whom you also had in our conversation, where conversation again means the way that you live your lives in times past and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and the mind, even with the nature and children of wrath, even as others. So again, uh, verse uh, one tells us we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Verse number two tells us that we were living for the devil. Uh, verse number three means we were living according to the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and our mind. And we're not the children of God, we were the children of wrath. Again, this is important because we need to understand that we were not born into this world as children of God. We were born into this world as children of wrath, children of disobedience, and children of the devil, Jesus himself even says. So again, that's really important because we were born dead in our sins and uh, as enemies against God. Verse number four is one of the most beautiful verses in all of the New Testament. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins, he hath quickened us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, winky emoji face. But it's, it's in the Bible. But <laughs> some of you are just now getting that. You're like, wait, what is he talking about? You actually looked at your Bible. Uh, again, here... Be, even despite the fact that you and I had rebelled against God, you and I had uh, done our own thing. We were the children of wrath. God is rich in mercy and loved us and made us alive together in Christ. Verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. So God, uh, <laughs> I can't leave uh, verse number 7 alone either. Verse number 7 says that God basically has made you a trophy of his grace that God would show his exceeding grace through saving you. And so again, when we look at our life, we go, well, my life's not that great of a story. Oh, no, 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 no. You have been saved by God's rich mercy to be a, an example of his exceeding grace, his over-the-top grace. And so uh, if you're a saved child of God tonight, you should live your life in a way that shows God's graciousness and God's glory uh, in your life as well. And so we see that man is dead in sin and unable to meet God's standard of righteousness. <clears throat> Again, we took a look at this morning in uh, Romans chapter 3. We're guilty, all of us, 100%. No questions asked. Uh, no excuses. No arguments can be made against our uh, excessive amount of guilt we were born dead, spiritually speaking. Again, if man is a body, soul, and spirit, our spirit was born dead, disconnected, unalive from the uh, spirit of God. And so we were dead because of our trespasses, because of our sin. We could not possibly meet God's standard of righteousness. Again, this does away with the idea of any types of works-based salvation that you and I can be good enough to get to heaven because we were dead in our sins. We had no redemptive acts that we could perform of our own power. And so when we talk about the idea of regeneration, regeneration is the concept of a new birth, the beginning of the process of the inner recreation of a person's fallen nature through the activity of the Holy Spirit. And so again, now we have a new birth. 
because we are dead in our sins. In verse number, what is it, verse number six? Uh, no, verse number uh, five. And we were dead in our sins. He hath quickened us together, made us alive together. This is a new birth that's taking place because you and I were previously spiritually dead. And so again, this new birth is being born again. We go back to Jesus, uh, what Jesus says in John chapter 3. Again, no man can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And so we see that Jesus requires the necessity of birth from above. This is not something that we can do of our own. Jesus says, whatever is born of the flesh is of the flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is born of the spirit. You and I cannot save ourselves. You and I cannot redeem our own souls. You and I cannot make ourselves spiritually alive. It requires one who can make us alive, who has the power to redeem us, the power to save us, the power to give us a new life, new birth. And so that regeneration cannot take place without Jesus Christ. Uh, the verses in your notes, we just read them, read them in John 3, verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God hath not sent his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Those verses, those three verses, 16, 17, and 18, makes our salvation 100% focused on Jesus Christ. I, I talk with a man in Thailand who says, I, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. Can I still go to heaven? I said, no. It doesn't work that way. Well, no, I, I believe in God. I believe that there is a God, and again, I quoted to him what the book of James says. Hey, you believe, that's great, but the devils also believe and tremble. You believe in God but reject Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved because salvation is completely and totally built around the work and the person of Jesus Christ. You cannot get away from that. You can't separate the two. And so regeneration can't take place without Jesus Christ. Regeneration can't take place without the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit prior to your salvation convicts you of sin, shows you that you are wrong, points you to Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus says that's what the Holy Spirit's job is to do, is to convict the world of sin, to speak of me. He won't speak of himself. He'll speak of me. And so again, that's really important to, to note that the Holy Spirit's job is to point people to Christ. Before you got saved, the Holy Spirit was convicting you of your sin and showing you where you were wrong. It was drawing you to Christ. The moment that you accepted Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life. And God now lives with inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now can do work in your life that he could not previously do before because you're now alive spiritually. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 3 says, Wherefore I give to you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit calleth God Jesus accursed. Call, any man speaking by the Spirit of God called Jesus accursed. No man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. And so you and I cannot be saved and even affirm the Lordship of Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit allowing us to do those things. Now again, the book of Romans tells us if you don't have the Holy Spirit, it's because you're not saved. Any saved person will have the Holy Spirit. And so this is one of the 
major gripes that I have about uh, charismaticism and Pentecostalism is they make such a big deal about the Holy Spirit and you need to have the Holy Spirit so that you can speak in tongues, so that you can do miracles, so that you can speak words of prophecy, so that you can have dreams and visions that uh, tell the future and things along those lines. That was never the intention of the Holy Spirit. If you read what Jesus said, here's what Jesus said. Jesus says the Holy Spirit won't speak of himself, he'll speak of me. The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will remind you of the things that I've already said. The Holy Spirit has no desire to be in the spotlight. The Holy Spirit's job is to shine the spotlight on Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 13 says, Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us his spirit. How do you know that you're saved? Because you have the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't think I have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're not saved. And you need to be saved. And so again, we see here... The, the job of Christ and the Holy Spirit and this rebirth, this regeneration for us. Our regeneration doesn't take place in us, but it takes place in Christ. This might be confusing to you, but I want to explain to you what I mean by this. Your regeneration is not you trying to do better. It's not you trying to keep a streak going of, of good habits in your life. It's about the Holy Spirit, again, taking what was dead and now making it alive. Again, Ephesians chapter 2, you're probably there, still there in your Bible. We were dead in our sins. Christ has quickened us, uh, he hath quickened us together with Christ, hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you ever want to have some fun sometime, uh, search through your New Testament for all the, word, the time the words in Christ are used. Now, Paul says this about his flesh. I know that in me and that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Paul says if anything good happens in my life, it's the work of, of Christ working in me. And so again, it's not a matter of you and I doing better, uh, working harder. It's a, about a new birth taking place in our lives. Uh, turn it over to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. This would be a, a verse to circle, star, underline your Bible. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, there's that phrase again, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so as we look at this regeneration in Christ, regeneration requires a death to the old man. So again, someone would ask the question, hey, can I be saved but still hang on to my sin? I love my sin. I don't want to give it up. I have no intentions of ever giving up my sin. I love it. I'll ask God to forgive me for it, but I'm going to continue to do it. Can I be saved? What would the answer to that be? Absolutely not. Because your confession of faith in Christ requires a death to your old person. If you're not allowing to let that person die, then you cannot be alive in Christ. And so again, if a man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But if someone is not willing to let the old man die, but wants to keep the old hanging around, the Bible says that person's not in Christ. Because in Christ, 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, 
you're a new creature. If you're not in Christ, you're not a new creature. In Christ, old things are passed away, and in Christ, all things are become new. And so, again, this death to the old man is a, is a requirement. It's not an option. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 6, if you would. Romans chapter 6, verse number 4. I just back up to verse number three. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, again, into Christ here, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should all also walk in newness of life. Now, again, you talk about misapplied Bible verses, Bible verses taken out of context, verses uh, three and four are often taken out of context for people to say, you need to be baptized to be saved. That you're baptized into Christ is what it's saying. That's not the idea of what it's saying at all. It's saying just like our baptism was a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So again, when someone gets in the water for baptism, appropriate scriptural biblical baptism, they get in the water as a picture of their death. They go under the water as a picture of their baptism, or I'm sorry, of their burial, and they come up out of the water as a picture of the resurrection of Christ. And so he's saying just like that picture is a picture of, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, so you and I are also baptized into Christ that we're dead to our old man and we're raised again, resurrected, regenerated to walk in newness of life. Verse 5, for if we've been planted together with his likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Just like baptism is a picture of the death of Christ, it's also a picture of the resurrection of Christ. So you and I are now dead to the old man that we were, and now we're alive in Christ. Now again, this doesn't mean that baptism does that. It means that baptism is a picture of what takes place there. And so, uh, again, we see the, the importance of this newness of life that has to come as a result of uh, regeneration. Verse number six, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also Live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died into sin once, but in that he lived, he liveth unto God. Uh, again, verse number 10 basically says, we don't have time to parse all this, and we'll parse it um, by my calculations in 2026. 20, um, but what he's saying here is he's saying, hey, just like Jesus died to sin once, and he raised again to live to the Father, so you and I died to our sin and are now raised to live unto the Father. And so again, this idea of salvation always carries with it a regeneration, a new start, a new beginning, a fresh, uh, a fresh start, a clean slate that we have with Christ uh, when we are saved. Now, some of you might be thinking like I did when I was a young Christian, probably in my early 20s, uh, I began thinking like, man, I didn't need a fresh start when I was nine. I needed a fresh start when I was like 22, right? Uh, I needed to like cover up all the mess that I made in my early adulthood years and my uh, you know, post-high school years. I needed the, a fresh start then. But here's the beauty of, of Christ. 
is that I can be just as clean as I was the day that I got saved at any moment. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the good news is I can have a fresh start this afternoon. I can have a fresh start tomorrow morning. I can have a new beginning anytime that I want by the blood of Christ. But that process of beginning this regenerative work took place the day that I got saved and the day that you got saved. And so regeneration is a death to self. But it's, being alive, but it's Christ being alive in you. Uh, turn over to Romans chapter 8. I skipped this verse on the previous point, but uh, Romans chapter 8, verse number 8. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But if you're not of the flesh, but in the Spirit, this will be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Verse number 9 is a verse I would circle star, underline your Bible, because it says, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So again, just as Jesus was resurrected from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be resurrected from the old man and become a new man by the power of the Holy Spirit as well. Turn to uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. Galatians 2, 20 is a verse you should circle star, underline your Bible, probably commit it to memory. I'm crucified with Christ... Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says this, Paul is dead, only Christ is alive in here. The idea of I am crucified with Christ, that's actually a, a present tense, ongoing tense. It's not a check off the list, man, I got crucified with Christ the day that I got saved. No, no, no. I am daily, continually crucified to Christ. And I don't live any longer, but Christ lives in me. Man, the old Anthony King, that dude's dead and gone. Only Christ is alive here. I don't live for myself anymore because I'm dead to that. Christ is alive here. You might say, man, that, that's great, Pastor. I'm happy for you. No, no, no. This is not a verse for pastors. This is a verse for everyday Christians. All of us should be crucified to Christ, with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but Christ liveth in me. And so, again, it's a requirement of a death to self and allowing Christ to live in us. Now, regeneration, this being born again, this new life that we have in Christ is available through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3. This is, a, this is an incredible verse. Blessed be 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. That word begotten means born. Hath born us again. How? According to his abundant mercy, he hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Get this. No resurrection, no regeneration. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, Paul says, we're still in our sins. He said, if Christ did not rise from the grave, we are of all men most miserable. That's what he says. If Jesus Christ didn't really resurrect from the grave, we are the sorriest bunch of cats on the planet. Like, we're as bad as it gets. But because Christ is risen, we're no longer miserable. But because Christ is risen, we're no longer in our sins. Peter tells us that that God has given us the power to be born again by the resurrection of his son. And so, again, two weeks from today, we're going to celebrate the greatest event in all of human history, the resurrection of Christ on Easter Sunday, sometimes referred to as Resurrection Sunday. Why? Because if that event didn't happen, you and I are toast. If that event didn't happen, we're wasting our time here. If that event did not happen, we've got a lot to pay for in the life to come. But because Christ is risen, it changes everything. My story's different. Your story's different. My family tree will be different because Christ is risen. But again, this is not an automatic statement. Regeneration takes place as a result of the declared gospel. You're already here in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse number 23 here. Um, man, let's back up to verse number 18. This passage is so good. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, you didn't get saved, bought back with money and stuff. Verse number 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Again, we go back to Genesis chapter 3 where I said that kicked off God's redemptive plan. God didn't create a redemptive plan. Verse 20 tells us that Jesus was set to die for your sins before the world was ever created. Verse 21, whom by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit to unfeigned love of the brethren that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And so here we see that you and I are born again by the preached gospel. The only way that you knew how to get saved was someone told you the gospel. And that incorruptible seed was planted in your heart and it grew and you were born again by the declared gospel. 
that's so outstanding. For me, I, I grew up in a church, and, and I kind of knew the gospel, man, from the, the time I was uh, a toddler. In Sunday school stories and stories in church and things like that. I understood the gospel, but at nine years old, the gospel gripped my heart in a way that I realized I'm a sinner before God, and I need God's forgiveness, and I confess my sin and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. <coughs> and I was born again as a nine-year-old boy because of the story of the gospel. I'm not sure what your salvation testimony is, but you came to a point in your life where you recognize your need to be saved and you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior because you had heard the gospel. Uh, again, that's why I love the song that we sang today. tonight. There is one gospel. There's not many gospels. There's not a bunch of gospels out there and you, you happen to pick the right one that was right for you. There is one gospel. And Paul says, this gospel which I have preached unto you and you have received and wherein you stand. That's why that song is so biblically rich. Again, if it's just Christian karaoke for you, you're missing out because there's just so much rich, deep doctrinal truth in that song. There is one gospel, and that's the gospel that saved you. That's the gospel that saved me, and every single person that we'll be with in heaven one day will be there because they believed the gospel. And so that's why, again, for us as a church, you're going to hear it 52 weeks a year. You're going to hear it on Good Friday. I guarantee you're going to hear the gospel, guaranteed. You're never going to be able to walk away from here scratching your head going like, I'm not really sure if I'm going to heaven or not. You're going to know because the gospel will show you where you stand with God. And the only way that one can be born again is the gospel. Why is that so important? Because it's so important that we put it on the back of every single invitation we have to church, the gospel. Hey, if somebody catches that at their front door or leave it at a restaurant, they can look up our service times online if they want to. Here's the gospel. Well, I'm not really a church guy. I work on Sundays. That's fine. On the back is the gospel. This is the only hope that people have to be born again. It's not a cool website. It's not a great social media presence. And uh, man, we got a fire Instagram at our church. Fire Instagrams are great for getting people in, but you got to have some substance when they get there. And that substance has to be the gospel because it's the only way that one can be born again. Next, we see that regeneration will create a desire for righteousness. Turn to 1 John, if you would, uh, 1 John chapter 3. <laughs> Get this. Truly being saved. Real deal being born again. Will create a hunger and a desire to do the right thing. It's going to create in you a hunger for righteousness. Again, when people can pray a prayer and go back to a lifestyle of sin and feel no regret, no remorse, no concern for that, it's a clear indication that they have not fully understood the gospel and that they likely have not been regenerated. Because here's what First John says. Man, again, if you, if you think that that sometimes when I say like, hey, people are living this way, they might not be saved. If you think that's harsh, you should read First John because John doesn't pull any punches. John like hits hard. Uh, when our, our church was very young, uh, back in like probably second year, maybe third year, 
I preached through the book of First John because I thought it would be really encouraging for a new church. Uh, you know, uh, we realized we're preaching hard truths, and so I want to preach about the love of God, and he that loves God is going to love his neighbor and stuff like that. And so I thought, man, this would be a really uplifting, encouraging passage to read through. But to get to that, you have to read through all this stuff that, that John says, like, hey, if they left us, it's because they were never of us and they're unbelievers. And it's just like, oh, that's kind of hard stuff. And then we get to like 1 John chapter 3, verse number 8 here. Uh, we see it says, he that committeth sin is of the devil. And talk about, hey, this is an encouraging uh, message for you on a Sunday night. He that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the work of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Pause. Can you see how a verse like verse number nine could be taken out of context, misapplied, and some really heinous things could be said about that? If we just look at that one verse and just cut it out of the Bible and hold it up by itself, that verse could be misapplied and misconstrued in 10 million different ways. John is not saying that if you and I are truly born again, that we will not sin. Not what he's saying, because we have to go on and see what it says here in verse 10. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. Man, that's heavy. Um, uh, because uh, whosoever born of God, verse 9, does not commit sin, for he remains in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Here's how you'll know the difference between the children of God and the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth his brother. This is a message that she heard from the beginning that we should love one another. And so he says, here's how you'll know the real deal Christians from the ones who are not. The ones who strive after, desire, and live righteously. That's kind of hard because people were coming up to me after I preached a message like that and they say, okay, hold up for a second. My brother prayed a prayer when we were on vacation in Bible school, but I never saw any spiritual fruit in his life. He's a self-proclaimed atheist. He's away from the Lord, hates the things of God. Are you saying, according to this verse, that my brother's not saved? I would never say that your brother's not saved, but I would say, according to what John says here, I don't think John would think your brother's saved. And that's hard. Well, no, we went to church together. We grew up together. Like, I was there when he prayed the prayer. I was there the day that he got baptized. People can pray a lot of things, and people can be baptized anywhere in the world that they want to. It doesn't mean that they're saved. Because John here says that if we are truly saved, we'll desire to do the right thing. I'm not, I'm not sure about your salvation experience, but for me, when I got saved, I had a desire to do the right thing. I, re I remember the moment that me and my dad sat and by my bed, and, and I got saved, and I thought to myself, I don't want to leave this place right beside my bed. I had a little bench uh, in my, my bed that, uh, by my bed that me and my dad were sitting on. I thought, I don't want to leave this bench because if I do, I'm going to sin. And like, in this moment right now, I'm like, perfect. I'm good. I'm golden right here. I don't want to move. I just want to do what's right. Man, for the next few days, I, I wanted to tell anybody that would listen that I was saved. I even wanted to try to obey my parents and do the right thing and uh, things along those lines. And I had a desire for righteousness. Now, did that desire wane over time? It did. And it was peaks and valleys from then on out. And there was a long valley time. And God brought me back to a place of growth in my life. But there should be a desire for righteousness. Even in my time where I would consider myself as being away from the Lord when I joined the Navy and wasn't, was out of church for a while, I still knew in the back of my mind I need to be in church. I need to be 
in a, a good relationship with God. I need to be around church people. I can't just surround myself with worldly people and worldly influences. I knew that where I was at was wrong and I had a desire to make that right. And so regeneration will create a desire for righteousness. Regeneration will produce life change. That's the whole point. If there's no life change, we must question whether the regenerative work of Jesus has actually taken place. Now again, I caution you against questioning anyone's salvation. That's not our place to point fingers. This guy's saved, this guy's not. Uh, this gal over here definitely not saved because of what she's doing and things like that. Not the place to do things like that. What we really need to do is examine ourselves and examine our own lives and make sure that we are truly saved. Again, we're in 1 John, so turn back to 1 John chapter 2, verse number 3. Here, again, hard truth that John says, 1 John chapter 2, verse number 3, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth the word in him, verily is the love of God perfected or made mature, hereby we know that we are in him. John says, here's how you know if you're saved or not. Do you want to obey the Lord or not? If you're living in outright shake-your-fist rebellion against the things of God, John's saying here, you're probably not saved. Man, that's hard. Again, verse number three, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. You talk about a young pastor who, who thought, I think I picked the wrong book to be a blessing and encouragement to our church family, right? You say that you know God, but you disobey him. You are a liar, and you don't even know what the truth is. That's heavy. But again, we take a look at verse number 18 in 1 John chapter 2 here. Little children, it is the last time, as you've heard, that the Antichrist shall come. Now there are many Antichrists, whereby you shall know it's in the last time. They went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Why did these people leave the faith? They leave the, left the faith to prove that they never truly were a believer to begin with. This goes hand in hand with John's uh, message on apostasy three weeks ago. Phenomenal message. I was super helped and encouraged by that. But again, it goes hand in hand with here. When they leave the faith, they were just proving that they were never a Christian to begin with. First John chapter 3, verse number 3. And every man that hath this hope purifieth himself even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither know him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. This is the purpose of the Son of God was manifest. He might destroy the works of the devil. For whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Again, not talking about you can't sin. We all sin. The Bible says if we say that we don't have sin, we're a liar, and we deceive ourselves. 
But it's saying here, if you are truly a born-again Christian child of God, you will not strive after sin. You not, will not live a lifestyle of sin. You will not live a lifestyle of unrepentant rebellion against God. That your, your works of your life, your lifestyle, will prove whether or not you're truly a follower of God or not. And so, again, it's important to understand that if we're truly born again, there will be life change there must be life change now are we going to be perfect no should we walk around determining who's saved and who's not saved definitely not but we should examine ourselves to make sure that our lifestyle reflects this regenerative work of christ in us this is super important and i want you to get this righteous living does not save us but it is a product of our salvation if we're not careful, we'll get this idea that like, oh, I'm going to live a really good life and that'll prove that I'm saved. No, it won't. Again, conversations that I had over the last couple weeks in Thailand, one man pulled up Mahatma Gandhi. He was a good man who did a lot of good things. He fought for the poor people and people that had less. Are you trying to tell me that he's in hell? Well, considering the fact that he denied Christ, He's definitely in hell. And he goes, I have trouble, I have trouble working that out. Okay, I get it. So again, if we if we just took righteous doing good things, we could say that maybe he was saved because he did good things. We're not examining life that way. It's not that that doesn't save anyone. And so it's important to note good works don't save, but if you're saved, you should have good works. Does that make sense? I'll say it one more time. Good works do not save you, but if you are saved, you should have good works. Again, it's important to note that a desire for righteousness, a desire for, for change in your life, and a desire to walk in righteousness is evidence of your salvation. Now again, please understand, we talked about this early on in this series, proof and evidence are two different things. Proof means I guarantee this is exactly what happened and I can prove it. Evidence just says, all signs point to this. I used the illustration when I talked about proof and evidence. If there's a Kirkland brand bottle of water in your fridge, I can, there's evidence that points to you're a, uh, a Costco member who bought a case of water and put one of them in your fridge. That's the evidence that I see. Why? Because Walmart doesn't sell Kirkland water and you can't buy a single Kirkland water at a, at a convenience store. And so you bought a case of water at Costco, and to buy a case of water at Costco, you must be a member. So that's evidence that you're a Costco member. Is that proof that you did that? No, it's just evidence that points to something that we can determine based on the evidence that we see. Proof would be for me to see your Costco club membership and your receipt with your name on it. That would be proof. And so when it comes to proof, we don't get a, a membership card the day that we get saved. And so there's no proof that you are saved. There is, should be a lot of evidence that you are saved. You see the distinction there? And so good works, walking in righteousness is not proof that you're saved, but it's evidence that you are what you claim to be. And again, if you call yourself a Christian, but you have no good fruit in your life, only corrupt fruit, that's also evidence that you are not truly born again. Again, evidence, not proof. Because Jesus says, a good tree doesn't bring forth bad fruit, and a 
bad tree doesn't bring forth good fruit, he says, you'll know people by the fruit that they put out. So if I'm consistently putting out bad fruit, consistently living a lifestyle of sin, and continually rebelling against God, and my lifestyle points to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and me, there's a lot of evidence there that I'm not saved. So again, I want to examine myself. I want to examine my own life. Man, for me, no lie, I want to examine my kids and make sure that they're putting out good fruit because I want to make sure that my kids are saved. My kids are saved. I want to make sure that they're walking in the Spirit and living a Spirit-filled life so that God can bless their life. And so for me, man, I've, I've got to be constantly inspecting the fruit of my kids to make sure that there's good fruit that's coming out of that. And, if it, and again, if I see bad fruit, hey, maybe it's a matter of repentance that you need to repent of your sin and get things right with God. But you can't be saved and not see real change. One final quote I'll, I'll leave you with tonight. I came across in written by some theologian, he says, the new birth is then a sovereign act of God by his spirit in which the believer is cleansed from sin and given spiritual birth into God's household. It renews the believer's intellect, sensibility, and will to enable that person to enter the kingdom of God and to do good works. The Old Testament saints were born again when they responded in faith to God's revealed message. New Testament saints when they respond in faith to Jesus Christ. So again, if you're saved, there will be a new birth. If there's never been a new birth, man, you should check and make sure that you're saved. Again, being saved is not praying a prayer or uh, repeating after somebody or reading some prayer that's stuck in the back of the Bible somewhere. It's, it's confessing your sin before God, confessing your faith in God, and turning from your sin. That's what true salvation is. And so this beautiful work that takes place in us to make us more like Christ, man, that's the good stuff. Regeneration is the first step in sanctification. Sanctification is the molding and shaping you and I to be more like Jesus Christ as we die to ourselves and are alive to Christ and become more like Christ. That sanctification process is a lifetime process, but it could never start if you weren't first regenerated because you and I were born spiritually dead. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.